You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. How are we doing? Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Um, So, in case you uh, want to be sure which class you're in, this is He Who Hates Correction is Stupid. Yes. And receiving uh, and accepting constructive criticism in the workplace. Now, I should probably open up by saying that I should probably be open to some constructive criticism because I uh, heard the title of the lesson, but it kind of dot, dot, dotted. And I didn't quite focus on in the workplace. But the good thing is is that I believe that constructive criticism or correction should have this, we should have the same heart for it, whether we're in the workplace or with our friendships or with our walk with God. So I feel like this is going to be okay. This won't be a setback. So with that in mind, we'll go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. And then we're going to just jump right into the lesson. Father God, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful evening. Thank you that we have the opportunity to receive not just uh, some of your word in in a lesson, but multiple lessons. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you could just humble our hearts and let us be receptive to your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. So who here has been like legitimately corrected on the job? Now, keep your hands up. So everyone, okay, good. So I'm talking to everybody. Now, keep your hand up if it felt good. It felt good to get that correction. Yeah, George, you you liked it, didn't you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't feel good to get corrected. And it doesn't matter if you're a toddler or if you are in your retirement or anywhere in between there, it doesn't feel good. Especially, I feel like, when we know it's true. And it's just like, I already knew that. If you would have given me more time, I would have corrected myself. Um, but we don't do that. It's not our nature. And uh, just to open up, I want to start off with just a couple definitions, just to get our, our mind some perspective. Um, so, he who hates correction is stupid, or is an idiot. And the definition of an idiot is someone who is utterly foolish or a senseless person. And correct, uh, constructive criticism is criticism or advice that is useful and intended to help or improve something, often with an offer of possible solutions. So its goal is for you to improve. And it's usually focused on your work versus than just on you. So whenever you hear it, like it's usually like your boss telling you about your, your, your work ethic that needs to improve versus you as a person needing to improve. But not always. As we'll see, sometimes it's not the, the most healthy criticism that we receive. But let's open up with the word. Let's get into Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. And this is our kind of hallmark scripture, which is, is whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And I don't care who you are, where you're from, no one wants to be stupid, right? 
Um, and let's go ahead and look over in a couple chapters to chapter 15 and verse 31 in the NLT version. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. And if someone has an NIV, read the, the first part, or go ahead and read the whole verse really loud. Anybody there? If Whoever has an NIV? Anyone out there with an NIV? All right, read it out real loud for us. So here we can see different translations. They replace corrective or constructive criticism with a life-giving rebuke. And I think it's easy for us to tend, especially as, as disciples, those who follow Christ. It's easy to, to feel like a rebuke is automatically negative. And it's something that we, we almost fear. Like when someone kind of has that awkward like, hey, hey, bro. Can I, can I talk to you over here? And then you're all of a sudden you just feel like this anxiety and this defensive, like, well, why can't it be right here? Like, we have to go over there? It must be something bad. I'm about to get rebuked. This isn't going to be fun. But at the same time, like, constructive criticism isn't something to be feared. It's something that we should yearn for. We, we should be seeking it out. And in the same way, we should actually have the same heart towards a, a rebuke. We should be seeking it out. We want to improve our, our walk with God, and we want people to be focused on our actions as, as a follower of Christ, and whenever it's out of line, we want people to call us out on it and to help us. But it's so easy to focus on the negative instead of the positive. Now, uh, I read that constructive criticism, in theory, should be 80% positive and 20% negative. But what we tend to do is that 20% that's negative, we make that 80% of what our mind dwells on. And whatever positive things that that person said, that just like gets a minute like glance. Or at best, like sometimes you just feel patronized, like, oh yeah, you did such a great job. Like, no, you're just saying that so I feel a little bit better about myself. Um, And it's even harder when the person that's giving it is really passionate about it. As in maybe a roommate who's really convicted about something that you didn't follow or share their conviction, and then they just like start preaching this brimstone and fire lesson to you about how you are wrong and in sin. But that's not the best way. So we're going to look at a few ways that, whether you're in the workplace or out of the workplace, that it will help us to receive that corrective criticism so that we aren't idiots and we're not stupid because we just run away from it. All right, so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Clarissa to talk about our first point. Hello. Okay, thank you. Okay, hi, my name is Clarissa. And I got my notes in case I get all nervous and fumbly. And I know. And um, I work at the Boeing Company, uh, the Huntington Beach facility. And there I have a team of uh, supplier program managers and procurement agents, mainly based out of Huntington Beach, but I also have a team in 
Ridley Park, Pennsylvania, and the Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. And so um, our primary responsibility is to manage the technical cost schedule of our major subcontracts for the various programs that we have and the network and space systems. And so um, um, the thing that I love most about my job is that the products and the technology, really cool. Okay, I'm not sure if you guys visit the Boeing website, you'll see. And I also love, you know, my amazing team. I love the suppliers that I work with, and I love the people that I work with. And the things that I don't like so much is um, my amazing team, <laughs> um, the suppliers, and the people that I work with. So basically, people in relationships are the most rewarding as well as the most challenging aspect of my job. And so this topic, this particular topic about constructive criticism, and I change that. I don't use the word criticism. <laughs> I use constructive feedback, and that's how I approach my people. I find that they're more open to that term than the criticism term. And so right now we are closing out our year in uh, performance management, which is like uh, your performance reviews, performance assessments. So I'm going to be providing a lot of constructive feedback as well as receiving a lot of constructive feedback. So I'm looking forward to that. So in the past, um, the way that I've dealt with constructive criticism or feedback, um, I have like several defense mechanisms that I use in response to those that come up to me and provide these gems. And so my, way back when, my initial response is, uh, really? Well, what about the plank in your eye? You know, when you turned around, it almost put my eye out. My very verbal response. Um, and then there's the nonverbal response that I provide. which is not very respectful, right? And so, and I've also employed the, so this is what I call the, you really don't know what I'm thinking about response. And so let me rewind that and I'll share with you what I'm thinking about, okay? So basically someone's providing me criticism, constructive criticism. And I'm thinking, really? You're sharing this with me now? What? Hmm. Hey, that cupcake looks really good over there. I wonder what flavor it is. You know, I'm kind of hungry. You know, I, you know what? I think I want to stop at McDonald's. No, I want something more healthy. I think I'll stop. At, yeah, I'll stop at, uh, uh, you know, Chipotle. That would be good. Oh, okay. Thanks, sis. Bye. So basically what I did there is I heard her talking, I saw her talking, but I didn't really listen. So basically that just went right over my head. Um, the appropriate response would be for me to listen, to be humble, and to be grateful that this person is willing to risk running up against my gauntlet of negative responses to provide me with something that would be beneficial for me. 
So let's go ahead and take a look at Neiman. Oh, Neiman. Naaman. Naaman. <laughs> Naaman in Second uh, Kings 5. So when you get there. So basically, he was the commander and the king of Aram's army. And he was highly regarded. And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And so his wife had a captive young servant girl who was from Israel. And she shared that, hey, you know, there's a prophet in Samaria that could probably cure him of his leprosy. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he was humble. He took that advice. And then he went to his king and said, hey, you know, he shared what she shared. So he wrote a letter and uh, sent the letter with Nahum to Israel. He gave him the letter to the king of Israel, who then kind of freaked out, saying, hey, you know, what am, who am I, God? It's like, I can't cure you. So he tore his robes and all that stuff. And so uh, basically, Elisha heard about it and uh, had um, the king of Israel send Naaman to his, uh, hey, just send him over here, and I'll take care of it. And so... Um, when Naaman got there, Elijah didn't come down. He sent a messenger. And this messenger told him what he needed to do to be cleansed. So he was feeling a little, you know, kind of like, what? It's like, I, my expectation is, is that he would, you know, kind of wave his hand over my sores and, you know, I would be cured. Or at least uh, instead of going to the Jordan River, you know, how about these other two rivers over here in Damascus, which is much better. And so he walked away angry. So his servant um, was very courageous and uh, approached him to provide him with some uh, constructive feedback, saying, if you take a look at verse 13, it says, My father, if the prophets had told you to do something great, do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So, you know, he took, his, uh, he took his feedback and he went ahead and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the Lord, you know, as Elijah had instructed. And then he became cleansed. And so then he went back to express his gratitude and acknowledgement. In verse 15, he says, now, that's it. now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. So that right there shows you, you know, what a great heart he had in regards to, um, you know, accepting constructive feedback. And so I just wanted to um, share with you what I went through when I had a mentor that provided me some constructive feedback at work. So I was in this program called the Boeing Leadership Development Program. And we were required to have a mentor that we meet with um, on a regular basis. It kind of sounds like what we do here with our discipling relationship. And so, you know, I was looking for what the next step is. And my mentor said, well, Clarissa, you know, what you need to do is you need to take a step back and start in this area. So the first thing I did was... I went to my, you don't know what what I'm thinking about approach. 
And I was like, what? Why would I want to take a step back in my career at this time? Are you kidding me? Do you know what you're talking about? This is all going in my head as I'm smiling at him and nodding my head. And so um, I was like, hmm, no, that's not what I want to do right now. I don't want to take a step back. So uh, let me think about it. This is all in my head. It's like, you know, I'm hungry. You know what? If I went to In-N-Out right now, and uh, I should be able to get there and get back before my next meeting. And so these are the type of things that I, that my mind goes through. I just sort of gloss over what people are saying if they're sharing something that I really don't want to hear. And so um, as, as you can see, I totally resisted. So several months later, and lots of in and out lunches, um, I decided to go ahead and take his advice. And I went um, from a procurement analyst five, and uh, and to even become a level five, it was like you have to be blessed to, to even get there. So it was hard to give up, and because uh, it goes through the regional skills team and goes through all kinds of process and things and approvals. So I took a step back and I became a procurement agent four. And so I have to tell you, um, even though I was Totally against it, it was like the best decision or constructive feedback that I took because I was afforded, um, I learned a lot, and they provided me with lots of interesting and challenging assignments. And so within a year, I was promoted to procurement agent level five. And so... Um, a few, like a year later or so, I applied for and competed for a job that I thought was perfect for me. It was perfect. It was the manager of SOSCO. And SOSCO stands, we talk in acronyms that. So SOSCO stands for Systems of Systems Common Operating Environment. And so I thought this job was perfect. And unfortunately, I did not get the job. So I was disappointed. But, you know, God had other things in mind for me because a few months later, um, I competed and was uh, offered and accepted a senior manager's position as a network and systems battle command group. So that launched my career as a senior manager in the Boeing company versus just, you know, starting out as a manager and then working up. I just sort of jumped that whole level. So... That, again, I would not have been prepared for if it wasn't for my mentor who told me that I needed to take a step back, which I didn't want to do, um, but I did. And uh, that is definitely a constructive feedback that um, I value a lot. Thanks, Clarissa. Um, so we, we can see how when we, when we get the correction – or the, cons the constructive feedback, we need to stay humble, right? And what we also need to do is we also need to be really careful to listen for the truth. Because even with advisors, especially if you're getting it from people who, who don't take it themselves, it may not be sound. And even though they might even be trying to help you, if what they're saying is off the wall, then you need to be able to, to decipher whether or not what you're hearing is actually going to correct you to a behavior that's good or to correct you to a behavior that's not good. 
And in the workplace, it could cost you a job if you're not careful because different people say different things, but there's only one right and wrong way to do it. Um, so let's uh, look at an example from the Bible, and that is in 1 Kings chapter 12. And we're kind of going all old, old Testament on you today, looking at some, some pretty good characters. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background as you turn to 1 Kings 12. Uh, this, this is at a time in, in Israel's history where King Solomon has just died, but prior to his death, there was a, a Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was in rebellion against Solomon, and he was losing the fight, so him and all of his followers fled to Egypt. And Jeroboam just decided, I'm going to wait until Solomon dies, and then I'm going to test my luck again and see if I can get my way. So Solomon dies, and uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, they loved names that ended in Oboam, <laughs> but uh, so now King Rehoboam takes the throne, and as soon as he does, uh, Jeroboam decides he's going to go back to Israel and test the new king and see if he can get his way. So um, we'll pick up in, in verse 3. So they sent Jeroboam, and he and his whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. King Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. So already Rehoboam seeing that he needs to get some constructive feedback on how to handle this delicate situation. And so in verse 6, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And we go on to see that Jeroboam comes back and the king followed the, his young peer's advice on saying, don't give in to them, don't serve them, tell them that you're going to follow what your father did, but even more severely. And it's interesting because then we find out that Jeroboam gets really mad and a new war of rebellion starts. But in verse 19, after Jeroboam leaves, it says, So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And I think it's really important because sometimes we, we can seek advice, but sometimes people tell us what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. 
And we see in verse 19 that the truth of it was is that Jeroboam and Israel that followed him had never stopped being in rebellion against the king. Not when it was Solomon and not when it was Rehoboam. Like, they changed nothing. The only difference is, is that Solomon's dead now, and they're coming back to see if they can get a free pass and get their way and to strong-arm the king. But the, the older advisors in this case were just saying, tell them what you want to hear. You know, tell them whatever will make them happy so that we can just put this behind us. But, and I think in, in the workplace, this can really pop up. I, I recently got a promotion at Starbucks a few months back, going from a barista to a shift supervisor. And I basically started in one Starbucks, so I know all my coworkers really, really well. And they know me, and I get the promotion. So automatically, I have to get training on, you know, why we do things the Starbucks way and why it's important. And it was kind of like, eye-opening because as a barista I just knew like well I'm supposed to do it this way because I'm supposed to do it this way and even if people told me the reason why it's kind of like yeah that's not real pertinent to me I'll just do it because someone's telling me to do it (laughs) but then as a supervisor you have to be able to tell people what to do but then you also have to have the reason right behind it so if people start giving you some some attitude then you're like no let me explain like we do it this way because of this this and this so all of a sudden like I started to understand why we do it but it was interesting because as soon as I got the promotion, people were willing to, to follow my lead. But at the same time, like, people kind of tested me to kind of see if, you know, Clay's way is the same as the old generation's way. Or can we get by with this? Do we have to do it this way? So, like, I think in the work environment, you're constantly tested with the standard because it's easy to go less than the standard, but it, it calls us higher to follow the standard and all the rules to the T. Um, and if we don't, then what we could see is that it's really going to be to our neglect. Like if King Rehoboam just listened and gave in to Jeroboam, like they probably would have ended up just having him as a puppet king, and he would really have no control over anything. So, and I think today, like for us, like we can really apply this because... I know personally it's really easy for me. Um, whenever I do something, I kind of have the itching ears to hear, like, good job, Clay. So, like, I'll go to people who I know are just, like, just very loving. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, but they're going to tell me all the good thing. Like, oh, you did great, Clay. Like, I loved your lesson. It was perfect. And you nailed it. And I couldn't get enough of it. Which, that's okay. But sometimes you need to have some truth. You know, a little season of salt with it. So, like, I think we need to be sure that we're not always going to the people who are going to tell us what we want to hear, but putting ourselves out there to really seek input and go after self-correction from people who we know are going to tell us the truth. And they're not going to shy away from, from telling you the hard truth. Like, like the young men who advised him, like, Sometimes you just have to tell people exactly how it's going to be and kind of open their eyes to the situation because there might not be anyone else. Like, and especially if you are the person giving the feedback, you should take that as an honor and not disrespect that person by seeking your advice, by just glossing over the faults. 
but really just giving them what they need to hear because in the end, like you're sharing it because you want to improve them. So we need to be sure that we're listening for the truth and not listening for what uh, we want to hear. And I think Clarissa has another story. <laughs> okay, so um, this basically I'm going to be talking about Saul, who provides a great example of consequences of not listening. And so basically what happened is it, it definitely affected his relationship with God. So the first instance was in 1 Samuel 13. That's where um, Saul and Jordan, uh, Jonathan, uh, was fighting against the Philistines. And Saul was in Gilgal with his troops, and they were basically, you know, quaking in fear because they sat and they're, they're watching the Philistine amass and, and, and uh, basically... Um, in vast numbers and getting ready to come in and fight them. And so they're, in their fear, they're, they started to scatter. And so Saul's impatient, you know, after waiting seven days for Samuel uh, to come, he went ahead and conducted the burnt offering. And so given that he wasn't a Levite, that is definitely something he should not have done. And so when Samuel, you know, showed up, he went and met Samuel, and Samuel showed up, and then he asked him, you know, what have you done? And then in verse uh, 11 shows how he rationalized what he did. So he said, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at, the, at Michmash, I thought now the Philistine will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And so, and in verse uh, 13 and 14, you will see that there were consequences to his actions. And um, he's, uh, basically Samuel responded with, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all times. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So um, the other example, and Saul has many examples, but the other example um, is in 1 Samuel 15. And this is where um, Sam, Samuel provided some instructions to Saul regarding the uh, Amalekites. So the Lord uh, sent Saul to punish the Malachites for what they did to them when they were coming out of Egypt. And so Saul basically was told them to attack and totally destroy all that belonged to them. So Saul did attack, but he didn't totally destroy all that belonged to him. He basically uh, kept the, the king, Aga, and then also the best livestock um, of the uh, Amalekites. So Saul came out, basically, and called him out, saying, hey, you know, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? So even in Saul's um, response to that shows you that he wasn't listening. So if you go to verse 20, he says, but I did obey the Lord. Well, we know he really didn't. Uh, I went on a mission 
the Lord assigned me, I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Aga their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle for the, from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So basically, he totally rationalized why he did what he did in not obeying God's command. And uh, because he did that, you know, the Lord pretty much rejected him as king. And as you know the story, you know, he anointed David uh, the king of Israel. So unfortunately, I do have a a personal example of um, hearing but not listening. Uh, And I have to admit, it's a bit embarrassing, but I'm going to go ahead and be open with you guys and, you know, let you kind of share with you. My experience, it's not at a workplace, it's it's a personal experience. So um, I had a dog, uh, Charlie. He's really cute. I I miss him. Um, Very cute. He was about 40 pounds, medium-sized dog. And uh, I just had my backyard redone. And so he was hanging out in the backyard. So my dad went out, and he's kind of looking around, you know, checking it out, making sure everything's okay. And he saw... Charlie lift his leg and whiz on that air conditioner thing. It's that, what is that, condenser? And so he came back and he said, uh, you know, Clarissa, you, you, you probably should go ahead and invest like 100, 150 bucks, um, put an enclosure around that so, you know, Charlie can't pee directly on the, your condenser. I was like, oh, okay, thanks, Dad. And so he came back several weeks later, still see that nothing's done. And, you know, he reminded me. He's like, hey, you probably should go ahead and invest 100, 150 bucks, put in a closure around there so Charlie won't pee on your air conditioner condenser. I'm like, oh, okay, Dad. And so, I mean, I heard him. Did I do anything? No, I wasn't listening. So um, I'm sure we've all experienced that last summer. It was very hot. It was very hot. So I went to turn on the air conditioner, and I got even hotter air. So I was like, okay, great, it's broken. And so I called in the the, uh, air conditioner repair guy, and he went out and did his, you know, little analysis, and he came back and said, hey, did you own a dog? What do you mean? And he, uh, well, let me show you. So I went out to the back, and there's this little corner section that was corroded because of Charlie peeing on. So anyway, needless to say, it's going to cost me $1,800 to $2,500 to replace it. Um, so if I had just taken the... The constructive feedback and invested 150 bucks at the most, I would totally have saved having to replace that whole unit and shell out $2,500. So um, basically, that really tells you the consequences that I experienced from not listening. So not only did I have to endure a really hot summer, because I wasn't going to buy one at that time because it was at the peak of the market. Everyone's running out and buying it and drove the cost up, right? And then um, I got to shell out $2,500 to replace it. And the worst 
I had to endure my father's nonverbal. He didn't say anything, okay? But he gave me that, I told you so, look. So listening is definitely, um, don't be like Saul, don't be like me, um, and be open to constructive feedback. (laughs) It is true. Um, (laughs) Actually, I can picture my dad giving me that look about 100 times in the course of a month. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) But yeah, if, if we just listen, it helps so much more. Um, another thing that we need to do is we always need to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially when we're, when we're approached by someone. We need to give that person the benefit of the doubt that they actually know what they're talking about because I know personally it's very easy for me, especially as they open their mouth and words start to follow about me. Um, if I start to think from the beginning that, well, that's not valid or that's not 100% true, then it's easy for me just to dismiss it all and just be like, this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. So I, can, I don't really need to pay attention to what's being said here. Um, but what we need to do is we need to have a really humble heart and really uh, listen to the person and assume that they know exactly what they're talking about. And a great example of this type of humility is uh, from King David. So if you want to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And there it we're going to be looking from verse 5 to, to 14. I'm just going to go ahead and read through the story. Um, and we're picking up where King David... He is chilling in Jerusalem on his throne. And what's been happening is that his son, Absalom, has been secretly plotting to overthrow him. And so what he's been doing is his son, Absalom, has been waiting like at the gate to Jerusalem. And as people came in that were going to go talk to his father, he was basically telling them, he was turning them away, saying that, no, my, my father won't hear your plea. He won't listen to what you're going through, and which obviously made people really upset. And then basically on their way out, so they may have traveled from towns and cities that have taken days for them to get to Jerusalem just to talk to the king and plea their case for whatever they're going through. So then his sons just be like, no, my, my dad won't listen to you. It's worthless. Don't even try. So then on their way out, then he'd just kind of say like, oh, by the way, if, if I was your king, I would listen to you. And so he's, he's doing this again and again. And what eventually happens is he gains the favor of most everyone because everyone thinks that King David won't listen to them, but his son King or his son Absalom will listen to anything and that he's a man of the people. So uh, basically Absalom just decides to declare himself king and it's to the applause of many people outside of Jerusalem. And so then they start getting word. King David hears word that his son is rebelling against him and that he's marching towards Jerusalem. And King David has to abandon Jerusalem uh, in order to flee with his life. And so that's where we're at in verse 5. And they are marching. 
And as King David approached Bahuim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shemai, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David with, along with uh, all of David's officials, with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shemai said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What do you and I have in common? You sons of Zeruiah, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all of his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shemai was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. So imagine yourself king of Israel or president of the United States, and you have to evacuate, and along the road there's some guy that says, you know what, because you overtook King Saul, God's anointed king, and you brought blood to that household, this is what you deserve. You're getting just what you deserve. And he's cursing you, and he's throwing stones at you. And then meanwhile, your secret service is like, can we stop him? And you tell him no. No, who am I to stop this man if God has commanded him to come out and curse me and to pelt me with stones and throw dirt in my face? And I think that what David shows here is, is amazing because he, he's not assuming whether or not, in this case, it's not even constructive. It's just, it's just a bad correction. And it's terrible feedback. It's just telling him that he's wrong and everything that's bad that's happening to him is what he deserves. But David doesn't focus on that, which I don't know how he didn't. Uh, because he's getting the 100% negative feedback. But what he does with it is he says, you know what, if God told him to, I can't say to him that God didn't tell him to do this. So I'm going to let him do it. And I think it's interesting too in verse 12, it may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with, the good, with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So he's almost just kind of giving it the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know what, like he could be right. And if he's wrong... If I respond with humility, then God will see that I'm really kind of getting pelted in the face with dirts and stone, stones, and I'll probably receive something for it in the long run. 
And personally, I feel that this is something that is very common in the workplace and just very common in life. Um, it was funny. I After my promotion, one of the things that I'm in charge of at Starbucks is the, the cash control. Like anytime that I am the manager on shift, all the cash, if it adds up at the end of the night or it doesn't, that's on me. And so one of the things that we do is when we lock up at night, we we put all of all of the store's money in a in a safe, and then we have little uh, boxes that during the day people will put money in. So it's kind of like where you drop a twenty dollar bill, and so it's just kind of like a little cash box, but it's not that secure. So one of the things we have to do is at the end of the night we have to empty it and we leave it open. And the idea being if someone breaks in before they go through the hassle of breaking the glass, they'll see that all of the cash doors are open, so there's nothing in it. And so I, I closed one night, and then it was a couple days later. Uh, my manager talks to me and, and is just like, just kind of comes straight into the correction and says, Clay, uh, I noticed the other night uh, those those cash boxes were, were left closed. Like, you know we can't do that. Like, that's a huge safety violation, and... Uh, so if you do this again, like I, I actually have to report it. And I was thinking back and my initial reaction was just defensiveness. I was like, no, no, it wasn't me. Like, like I, I remember, like I even have like a system of like, I touch every open door (laughs) cause I'm just, I'm so just like for sure that I didn't mess it up. And so I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, no, I know it was you. I know it was you. And she's like, I checked the schedule. I know it was you. You you left these locked. And you cannot let this happen. So, like, I'm still in my heart. I'm just like, I, I didn't do that. But, like, I just decided, you know what? Okay, like, whether she's right or not, the truth of what she's correcting is still true. Like, the truth of it is we still can't leave those doors closed at night. They have to be open. So I just kind of focused on that. I was just like, okay, like, I'll be sure to double-check it. And then after that, like, my manager left, and then it started eating at my brain. I was like, no, no, just accept it. Just accept it, Clay. It's fine. And then it, it just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore because another, another shift supervisor came in and, was like, and heard about it. And he's like, Clay, you can't leave that locked. <laughs> I was just like, okay, like, <laughs> now I have two Shemais. Um, so I actually did, like, not right then, but I, I actually checked the schedule, and it what it was is that there was two of us that was closing, and then like the last two hours before we actually closed the Starbucks, I handed off those duties to another manager. So it wasn't actually me who left them that way. And so I kind of felt this sense of relief, like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't do that. But it was funny because like I thought I, would, I was going to have this urge to go back and approach my boss and say like, hey, you know what? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was actually so-and-so. They left it locked. Go and yell at them like you wanted to at me. Like, it wasn't me. But then what I realized is that it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter pointing the finger at who or what. Like, I, I just had, like, some, some like, offline just side words with that other manager just as a, a reminder. Because I just felt like, you know, what what difference does it make if, if my name is cleared? Because the correction that I received, even though I wasn't really needing it, wasn't any less true. It's kind of like being reminded 
to sleep every night. You know, there's nothing wrong with someone getting after you. Like, you, you, and this probably sounds like your parents, like, you didn't get enough sleep last night, did you? You need to get more sleep. You need to take care of yourself. And you're like, well, I did sleep. Well, you did, but in, so, in someone's eyes, it's not good enough. And sometimes hearing it again and again is good for us, even if it's not the actions ourselves or the, it's not ourself that's needing the correction, but just getting a reminder of what we need to be doing and making sure that we're doing it in a right way. Um, and another example of this is, is more personal. Uh, and it was a time when I didn't give the person the benefit of the doubt, and I just assumed that what they were saying was, wasn't applicable to me. And that was when um, not too long, maybe about four months after dating, my fiance Yana, I got a phone call from her, and she was kind of upset. I could tell, like, there's just some tension in the voice. And in my mind, I'm like, well, okay, something must have happened to her outside of the sphere of Clay's encouragement <laughs> to cause this tension and this frustration. So I asked her, okay, what's going on? Like, just just talk to me. And what she what she started to share was she expressed to me that. Um, she was desiring more, uh, more one-on-one time in the environment of, of just like double dates, not group dates, not outings, not hangout time with friends, but just more of like a double, and we could get some really good one-on-one time, which I immediately heard, Clay, you're not doing this, and you need to do this more. So I got defensive and I was just like, you know, I, I, I think I've been doing a pretty good job there. And then I started saying like, and she's like, yeah, but it, it's, it's been a while. And it had been, but in my mind it was already justified. It was like, well, you know what? I was like, last week we had your grandma's birthday. The week before that was your brother's birthday. And the week before that was Father's Day. And, and then I was like, and I think the week before that we had like a family outing. I was like... I'm giving you all my spare time, and I'm, I'm wanting to spend it with you and your family. And I was just like, and then I felt like a million bucks when over the phone I can hear Yana starting to cry. And I'm just like, oh, no. And what it was is that I just wasn't hearing what she was trying to tell me. Because in my mind, I had already decided that she wasn't right. And by doing that, I think that's one of the greatest injustices you can do as far as how you communicate with a person because whether it's a correction or an argument or just a different perspective, if you're going into it with the mind frame that I'm right and they're not, then you've already lost that, that discussion. Like, th- There's nothing you can gain from it. You might as well just go talk to the curb for an hour and just tell that curb how right you are because at least you don't have to wait for the curb to respond because it won't. It'll just be in silence, and that silence is its agreement, in your opinion. But no, we, we have to go into these discussions with uh, whether it's a correction or anything. We have to have an open mind that this person that's talking to me, they could be absolutely right, and I could be 100% wrong. You need to have that open mentality. And with the case of me and Yana, what, what was wrong was that 
She was just an expressing a desire for, for an improvement in the future, and she wasn't giving a critique of the past. But all I heard was critique of the past, get better. But she was just expressing what she was hoping to see more frequently in the future. Um, and had I actually listened to her and given her the benefit of the doubt and opened up my mind to think that, you know what, she's got a, a valid point and I need to give my full attention to it, then I wouldn't have made her cry. And, and then what was even worse is that because I was defensive and I, I just came back at her with my excuses, which valid or invalid didn't really matter, it made her feel terrible about even bringing it up because she felt like, well, here I am complaining. Meanwhile, my boyfriend is giving every ounce of his spare time to spend with me and my family. So, like, not only did I not listen to her, but I made her feel bad about how she felt. Um, so we can really cause a lot of damage to the people that we love. And in the workplace, we can cause a lot of damage just to workplace and relationships. Because I don't know if you've ever gone through a, a time, but if you damage, like, seriously damage a relationship between you and a coworker, or you and your boss, or you and someone that's employed under you, those, I feel like, are the hardest relationships to recover. Because it's kind of like they take the mentality of going into work and punching in and punching out, and then you hurt that friendship, so they just take the same mentality with you. And they're just like, I'm punching into work, so I'm punching in, and I'm going to be pleasant around Clay now. But as soon as I clock off, forget that guy. Like, I don't care what he thinks, what he says to me. As soon as I'm off the clock, I'm just going to let everything he said just go out my mind. So we do need to be really careful that we're really having a heart to, to listen to people and being humble about it. And, uh, go, and more than that, we really need to go after it, too. Like if from the beginning, if I really went after trying to understand what Jan was saying, I think I would have saved myself a lot of grief and saved her from a lot of sadness. But um, with that, that is our, our final point. Did you want to share anything more? No? Okay. So basically, we want to be sure that if we're taking correction in the workplace or constructive criticism – don't be stupid. <laughs> don't be stupid. If that's your one takeaway, walk out of here and think, I don't want to be stupid at work because that, that looks pretty foolish. You can be stupid in front of your friends sometimes and people will laugh it off and just be like, oh, that's, that's clay. But in the workplace, like, it can have adverse effects. You can get docked pay. You can, uh, you can be fired. You can cause all sorts of mayhem that not only affects your life, but also your, your well-being and your means to support yourself. So we do want to make sure that we're not being stupid there, but professional. So we want to remain humble, listen, uh, give people the benefit of the doubt, and, and just, just talk, to the, talk to the person, listen to the person as if you were in their shoes. And, and sincerely believe that people want to help you and not hurt you. So with that... I'll say amen, and if we have any questions, we'll take some Q&A. Um, yeah, Ramon. Okay, so the question is if you get the sense or the evidence that your boss is doing some illegal actions in the workplace, uh, how you should approach that. I think that um, – I think what I would personally do – and well, first of all, I'd say get, get advice. Get a lot of advice on that. 
from different different people. But I think uh, I'd probably give the person the benefit of the doubt because we all make mistakes, and maybe it's just like a bookkeeping mistake, unless it's like there's there's clear evidence that they're they're just breaking the law. But I would say give them a benefit of the doubt, approach them, and if that if that interaction doesn't go well, then I'd say being righteous about what's right and wrong, um, even if it costs you your job, I'd say God's going to honor that more than your submissive silence. Kind of the same way of, of rebuking one another. Like if you see it and don't talk to them about it, then you're guilty of being passive to their sin. So I, I'd, I'd take the same approach. Yeah, I'd say go through the channels and if the channels aren't responding, I would, I would just go the next step. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think in the end, you're just, you're doing yourself a favor and you're, by being um, honest, I think that that is the right action to take. Was there another question I saw? Okay. Did you, do you have another one? So if, if I kind of understood right, they were using a personal phone when they weren't supposed to, and it was a Okay, and it was kind of intense discussion. I'd say, you know, everyone has hardships. Um, I'd say if if you feel it's on your heart, like you could talk to your supervisor and just say, hey, look, like there's kind of this disruption in the workplace, and I want to be sensitive to that person and what they're going through, but it was all the root of uh, a personal call, and, you know, the policy is no personal calls. Like I abide by it several others do. So I would just approach it from that way, kind of start at the root, um, and then let let your supervisors take care of it. I wouldn't kind of like dive into that one hands-on. I would kind of pass it off to people who can actually help and take action um, to give that feedback that that person would need. Any other questions on how not to be stupid in the workplace by receiving correction? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Was there so? Is there a question in there? Um, Sounds like you're a hard worker, George. I think that's exactly what you should do: keep yourself out of trouble and be a hard worker. And that's probably why the times that you got correction, it didn't feel bad. You're the one with your hand up. <laughs> so there's there's the last point: is be a hard worker, be on time, and that correction won't hurt. all right guys uh thank you so much for your time and you are dismissed you've just listened to the elevate podcast for more information about our ministry please visit elevatecoastal.com